Hi, this is the next episode of Grumpy Recorders, and uh, we're talking today about dockwork, containerization, and more. And uh, I'm usually, as usual, I'm as usual with Thomas, uh, right? Uh, Thomas Glaser, and uh, yeah, Thomas, um, over to you. Yeah, we have a, a well. Thank you, first of all. Uh, we have a guest today again, our, our second guest star in the series. Hopefully, of many more to come. Uh, this is Thomas Frank, who is a uh, IT specialist with many, many years of experience. And our topic today is going to be containers, dockerization, Kubernetes. Thomas, would you like to introduce yourself as well? Yeah, sure. You already told my name, so no need to repeat that one. I'm uh, working in IT since about 20 years, so I'm pretty much old. I'm not sure if I'm grumpy, but I'm definitely not a coder. I'm working in the systems administrations and customer support and usually uh, keep try to keep the development teams uh, calm and keep the systems up and running. Right. Thank you. <laughs> I think you, you're definitely grumpy, you, so you're in the right podcast. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, okay. Um... Right. So let's should we should we get going? Right. Let's start simple. Thomas, would you like to tell us what Docker is, please? Yeah, Docker is some some other technology of virtualization. The most familiar way you know is virtualization of, of a completely host system, so a machine-based virtualization. And Docker is an OS operation system virtualization so that you use the resources of your host, op host operating system to run applications that are in, in containers or that are separated from each other so that they are, can, can operate without interfering. Uh, with each other, so this brings some some interesting stuff for development and uh, yeah to for the operating of multiple systems and multiple applications without any interference. Okay, so it's a, it's it's lighter, so you don't have the full operating system. Exactly, you've got only what you're saying. Yeah, I've got only the the one host operating system, but you have virtualized uh, virtualized applications running on, on this one operating system. So you don't need to have all the patch management for different VMs. Yeah, it's interesting. We're, we're probably going to dive into this later because what you can have is a, you know, CentOS container on top of an Ubuntu. But what you can't have, I think, is a Windows Server container on top of an Ubuntu and the other way around, isn't it? You, you can have, so there's, there's some, some compatibility for the operating system has to be there, right? Yeah, the, the technology is uh, solely based on Linux operating systems. So you need the features of a Linux kernel to, to run containers. Or on the other hand, if you've got a Windows system, you can run Windows containers with the Windows applications inside them, but I've never seen them in the wild. So this is just, as far as I know, some theoretical stuff. Right. So yeah, I, I was going to ask you later. So how how does this work in on Windows? Right. So so I heard there is <laughs> so to get this running on Windows, there is in fact a virtual 
I think it's called Moby Linux, and it does a virtual Linux running Correct, right, yeah, that true. runs the containers. So why not just have Windows containers, right? Well, I think the, the, there's some, there are probably some issues with the Windows kernel that doesn't have all the features the Linux kernel can, can support. And so they had to, to find some ways to, to amend this. And usually uh, most applications and open source applications are based on Linux or Unix styles applications. And so the usage of Linux was more suitable than virtualization of uh, MySQL, MS SQL server or something like that. Right. Okay. So, so maybe does... maybe yeah, maybe it's on. also be, I mean maybe it's also a kernel feature of Windows or not a kernel feature of Windows, right? I mean, as far as I know, or let's say something like Docker is based on on Linux namespaces, right? Mm. And I'm not sure if uh, of Win if the Windows kernel actually supports such a feature, right? So uh, so yeah. So so what what I know just in passing, not an expert. Um, there are Windows containers based on the Linux on the Windows kernel, so they are building this. But obviously, your container has to be a Windows container, right? Uh, Docker Indeed, Vesta. because it's uh, because it's based on uh, as Thomas said, right? It's based uh, as Thomas Frank said. Uh, it's it's this based. Is be very confusing. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's based on a kernel feature, right? So so meaning, um, it, it seems that you you can basically virtualize whatever you you basically can can namespace via this kernel, and this means you have to use Linux on Linux and Windows on Windows, basically, right? But you can't mix it up because the kernels are not compatible, let's say, right? Unless yeah. you're running a, a Linux virtual machine behind the scenes on, on Windows and then you can run Linux containers, right? Yeah, but then you're still yeah. running this Linux. That's at least my understanding, yeah. <laughs> but I think Microsoft yeah, you're still is... running Linux, but it's embedded. It's an embedded Linux, right? So I mean, you, you the the user you could argue that the user is maybe not exactly seeing that it's Linux because yeah. it's tightly integrated within the Windows operating system. Then yeah, yeah you true. just notice it when you happen to open your Hyper V manager on Windows. Oh, what's this virtual machine doing there? You know, that's the only way you notice. I think. But maybe yeah. maybe uh, one step back before we talk yeah. too much about, about the Windows world, Thomas class. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I meant to hate uh, Windows. I, I mean, what, what is always a, I mean, it's a little bit like Docker is a synonym or for, for, for containerization the same way as, for instance, in Germany at least, the brand Tempo is a synonym for tissues, right? Uh, but, uh, but actually there are, other, there are other containerization solutions out there that are based on exactly the same Linux or core features, let's, let's say, right? So if we say that, uh, hey, what is Docker? Then, then Docker seems to be much more than and just basically uh, Linux namespaces, it is all is also about the tooling and stuff like that, right? Thomas, can you explain this a bit? Well, the, 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 the structure of the containers or how they work, they are more or less identical for all the, the different tools that are available on, on the Linux system. So the, the structure of those isolated applications are more or less the same, but you can use Docker or there are other tools for, for instance, Podman that can, that can be used, but they basically use the same, same background technology. These are just different tools to, that, that one can choose from. 
Right. Yeah, so what what so. are the technologies are two things, right? It's this namespaces, what you mentioned, and then this um this layout file system approach, isn't there? Aren't these the two key things that a dockerization needs to do? There, there, there are more. There's uh, one key or the key kernel components, I think, are namespaces, C groups, and the container themselves use uh, to store data those uh, in overlay file system called mm -hmm. AUFS. So this has some advantages, some, some disadvantages, uh, but I think we can dig into that later. Good. But basically, the tools are more or less using the, the same, same technology in the background. For, for instance, uh, Podman uses exactly the same syntax as Docker. So you can actually define an alias on your, on your system that every time you type in Docker, Pod, Podman would be executed and other way around. So no, no difference there. They're just using the same syntax. So even moving between between different systems and tools, so you don't need to get accommodated to, to all those different syntaxes or something like that. They are almost using the same. Yeah. Okay, cool. I mean, one question for me is, or uh, good, we have now containers, right? And you mentioned that uh, we can leverage those containers to deploy a variety of uh, applications and services and stuff like this, right? But uh, how do we actually orchestrate and deploy this stuff? I mean, uh, in the past, I know because I, I wasn't really aware of all the cool stuff which is out there, right? I, I know exactly that I, for instance, wrote a bunch of shell scripts in order to orchestrate my, my bunch of applications when I started to use Docker, <laughs> which is not the very best way to do it, right? I mean, you can do it, but it's, uh, it's, it's let's say, the... the uh, the let's say more old school way of of automating stuff uh, let's say right um so what would you use thomas frank uh, in order to to basically deploy I still write shell scripts yeah yeah indeed <laughs> I, me 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 too but for docker there is there's better stuff let's say right there's stuff which gives you the opportunity to, to deploy st out, stuff out of the box or together right something like application stacks and so on right you don't need to to write individual scripts that are doing this for you by by for instance parsing the out this is what i did right parsing the output of docker in order to identify some ips and names and then uh, find out uh, how i need to configure one box or to communicate with the other and so on mm -hmm. right uh, I, I mean was a lot of effort, which I could have had easier by using other stuff. And maybe Thomas can shed some light on Yeah, that sounds stuff like a lot of trouble you, you went through. Um, but be before I think we before we go to the orchestration of, of Docker containers, um, maybe it's it's a good point to start how to get to a container, to how to get an image from, from scratch. So maybe we yeah, should sure, start sure. there. So yeah, yeah sure. Yeah, the, the basic key file everything turns around is the so-called docker file where you more or less write the your installation installation instructions for your application so each line like a batch file you type in all your your steps you have to to do to install and configure your application that lives in that should live in the in the container so it's basically some kind of installation instruction you're you're writing there. That's usually the, the text file that the administrators used to have when they installed some systems the old school way uh, to 
to remember how they installed the ticket system, the database system, whatever. This is now all in one simple file that can be added to some source code repository, source code repository and you can keep track of any changes in, in this file. And with that file, you can just run a Docker build. And if everything goes as planned, you end up with an so-called image. And that image now can then be executed via Docker run and becomes so-called container and should uh, run your application as you desired. So this is just for, for, one, for one container, for one image, but usually applications consist of more than one tool. For instance, some, some web server, a database system, an application server in the background. And this is the there. There comes the the orchestration in for to to get all this up and running. And for small installations, I tend to use Docker Compose. It's just another command line tool that can be configured using a so-called YAML file. So it's pretty human readable, where you define how your um, how your environment is supposed to look like who depends on, on whom, uh, who can communicate with each other, and which ports are get exposed to the outside world so that you can actually access your web server, for instance. And okay, cool. By the way, I hate YAML. I'm maybe the only person on the planet who hates YAML, but I really I hate, hate YAML. YAML. You're not alone. <laughs> it's like uh, it's uh, I'm not sure how many how many days in my life I actually spent with debugging YAML files because something was not totally uh, correct in oh. it, right? So oh, you something. actually have a reason. Okay, I just yeah, yeah I, have a, I have a reason. <laughs> I have a reason. No, it's uh, it's basically about the indent. I, I think or so many meaning if if something is only slightly wrong right then it will not load and you have to find uh, out where yeah, I, I mean there are tools mm -hmm. for this right there are validation tools that are basically validating if your yaml file well, is uh, I, I have to say docker compose yeah. is rather robust yeah. and there and the, the syntax is rather simple but i came across other tools like for instance ansible to remote administration uh, yeah. and automatic configuration yeah and that cost me a few hair to to get that configured because i just missed one indent or something like that it was yeah yeah same, was hell. same here yeah. it was also with ansible for me that i had this problem right that something didn't work out because uh, yeah. an indent was not correct or whatever right C can i go on a very small tangent like 30 seconds so there is there is a, there is a new move well new i say new there is a movement uh, called infrastructure as code Right, there are tools. I think we've mentioned yeah. this in the previous podcast, even where you can define your infrastructure. Let's say your Docker Compose in whatever language you prefer. So, if you like TypeScript, there are tools to define it in TypeScript, which has the two advantages that you can use your well, a language you know, and you can use your linting and formatting that you know, and you can in fact write unit tests against that stuff, which is quite an interesting thing to do. Okay, end of tangent. Back to you. <laughs> did you did you mention the name of the framework the last time i think you did right so, many yeah. so there's the pulumi is a, is a popular one and of course the aws cdk is another one of those um, Ooh, yeah, so now i have to mention redis as well in this redis. podcast <laughs> episode <laughs> 
<laughs> anyway, just kidding. Uh, but I actually plan to mention Redis later, by the way, right? So, oh, fine. <laughs> okay. I only came across okay. Kolumi, but I didn't rather like it. So, fair enough. Uh, this is what well, were we Docker Compose? Have you tried Docker Sorbonne? Compose? Yeah, I think Docker Compose we we stopped at or uh, being able to deploy basically on one machine. I, I think this is the limitation of Docker Compose, right? Yeah, correct. Uh, uh, okay. Just on, on one machine, there are other technologies that can be used to deploy it across multiple machines. Uh, one that Thomas, I think, invested some time is Docker Swarm. But unfortunately, since uh, the, the enterprise edition of Docker uh, has been purchased by some other company now, uh, they deprecated that. Uh, that's Docker Swarm. And uh, they purchased, purchased the, the company 2019. And I think they wanted to let uh, Docker Swarm live two more years. So I think this year is going to be its end. That is so annoying because my whole, well, infrastructure is maybe too big a word, but everything (laughs) in my house runs on a little Raspberry Pi Docker Swarm cluster. And by the way, I think you can use Docker Compose to to deploy to a Docker Swarm cluster, which is multi-machine. So in a way... Yeah, but you would need to use Docker Swarm, right? You have to use Docker Swarm and apparently, yeah, we're not doing this anymore. So, well, you you can still use it and won't stop working when they deprecate it. You can't just upgrade. But yeah, that's what oh. I mean. When they deprecate it, they mean they they remove it in the next major upgrade, right? That's that's yeah, usually how this works. Must not you, you don't need to use it. The, the next major upgrade, you can stay stick with for your little systems with the the version yeah. you're currently running. <laughs> you said it's in Raspberry yeah, I mean, Pi, and that's not very big, I guess. I, I guess well. if you don't, I guess if you don't want to go with, or uh, if you don't want to go with Kubernetes, which is maybe an alternative, right? You can do it. Uh, uh, I mean, I had a project where we, so my my team, and and I did in the past uh, uh, something like, okay, we, we use Terraform in order to bring up the the infrastructure in the cloud, right? This is something you don't need to do because it's all running in Raspberry, and then we used uh, Ansible to to basically uh, deploy the stuff. Or, or mm. across the 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 provision infrastructure, and then to we use compose or in order to to deploy the the containers, right? Or yeah. Ansible maybe sense. directly for for deploying the containers on the boxes, yeah. right? So I, maybe maybe Ansible is then your friend in this case, right? Yeah, Instead maybe of... I need to investigate it. I use Ansible, but only to do sort of operating system updates over all cluster nodes. That's all I use it for at the moment. But yeah, maybe it's worth investigating. I think the problem with uh, with this approach, which I just mentioned, right, if you would use Compose instead of other other mechanisms, right, you would not benefit exactly from the network discovery part, right? If you if you basically are deployed via Ansible on different machines, so forget about this. I guess you would need to use yeah. or, or just Ansible and and uh, expose your your stuff or explicitly, right, and. Uh, Kind you're, of, uh, you're, you're limited track to of the to the infrastructure you're uh, you currently have, but you can't remove or add servers as as you like. As if if the if you need more yeah. performance, you can't add two three other nodes because you then then have problems uh, 
joining those to the cluster and, and making their IPs available to, to the other systems and yeah. make the IPs known to the other systems. Yeah. which is maybe not a big deal which is not a big deal in thomas case right with the raspberries and it was not a big sure. deal in our case because mm -hmm. we had a con fixed number of machines let's say right but uh, why i mean you can't provision raspberries on demand right it's, no but uh, but what what i mean is i have sort of an intranet uh, which is i don't i don't remember if i have two or more replicas in there so i, I don't know which node it runs on is, is that what you mean? So that you have with a discovery that I so the server has like, it, it doesn't matter which IP I hit on port 80 is always that intranet, right? And it, you know, if, if I hit node 4, it'll serve it out even though the container is on node 1. Right? Nah, what, what I meant what I meant was more something like, or was more something like, if you use Docker Compose, right, you you can basically use variables for your services, like oh, okay. like MySQL, yeah. Redis, uh, whatever okay, the gotcha. the application, right, and uh, um, the only thing you need to do is you need to use those variables then on the other side uh, within other containers, right, uh, in order to access it. Uh, let's say, right. So the the service discovery is very simple as long as you are on on one machine in a in a sense yeah. because. Uh, there, there are. It's not exactly. I mean, there are in in a sense names, right? They are variables, but uh, mm. let's say they are in a sense names that allow you to discover the service uh, quite easily, right? But if you have multiple machines, the service discovery is a bit uh, more complicated, right? You would need to know which uh, machine is providing on which forwarded port which service and stuff like this, right? Yeah. Which is which is indeed also manageable by by Ansible, but Thomas Frank is right. Frank is right that uh, that it's more static, right? It's less dynamic. Uh, let's say. Well, yeah, that, that's the, the the advantage of of the the other compose or orchestration tool Kubernetes. You you mentioned it already, David. So um, there in within Kubernetes, you've got a DNS service, for instance, that uh, automatically. Uh, uh, updates itself if new services uh, join the your application namespace and so every every other application already running in, in that namespace can then access those new services if or can can make use of if you for instance have uh, currently running two two web services two gateways for instance but you you recognize that you, the the load is increasing on your system you can start three, four instances more, and those new new upcoming instances are automatically updated and known to to the whole cluster with with all the technologies that comes with Kubernetes. And that, okay. that's the that's a problem with uh, with a Docker Compose because that's rather static. But for for small installations, it's totally fine. The, there's Kubernetes totally overhead. But if you're running large installations that have different loads where you can scale up or scale down your services, depending on, on the load you currently have to, to serve, there are, there are features and mechanisms there that, that help you do that. Okay, it's interesting. Yeah, I know that Docker Swarm does do a little bit of that, a little bit of communication and discovery, because there is a thing called a uh, open function as a service which is sort of a multi-container thing that runs on swarm and every new function that you want to deploy is a container and there's some sort of fabric underneath to talk to the framework and all that stuff so swarm does a little bit of that but i, I suppose 
Kubernetes is the next step up, right? There is this concept yeah. of pods, isn't there? Yeah, correct. Right. <clears throat> yeah, the 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 pods are more or less. I, I think I've I've uh, searched for ah. the exact explanation there, and um, the pod can run one or multiple containers of the same same or different services, and they are sharing the same namespaces and and file system uh, resources. In that case, so one pod, for instance, can run multiple versions of the the same service, and if you've got a stateless application there, you can handle multi-load without with with just one pod running one image in different instances. Right. So so how does it scale? So when when we have more load, do do individual containers in a pod scale or does a new pod come online? No, those containers within the pod scale, you can increase those. You still have got one running pod that now runs four or five instances of the of that same service. Okay, oh, that, I didn't know that. So a pod is in a way sort of an abstraction of your application and your application consists of, you know, a number of containers. So there might be a, uh, yeah front what would you what do we have usually sort of a, an application layer and then maybe at some point something stateful the database layer which probably shouldn't be in containers i would imagine yeah and yeah yeah, sort of yeah. we, we come we but come we come yeah we get to this later <laughs> right so going back um i've heard that the <laughs> engine is deprecated so it's in kubernetes so, so what does this mean thomas is, is docker deprecated do no, i have to uninstall no, docker no it's just the 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 communication engine that connects the kubernetes with the with the Docker daemon, something like that. That's that's been deprecated, but you can you can still run any containerized application within Kubernetes that then uses an, another engine to to run. For for instance, the most common ones are currently I think Container D and and one other. I'm not sure which which one yet, but uh, you you don't basically. We need to worry about not be able to run any Docker-based container anymore. This will still work because the technology is over all those tools and all those engines is identical. They just remove the dedicated uh, API for for Docker. Oh, I see. So, so it doesn't really affect me which container engine Kubernetes runs internally, right? By the way, does anyone know where the name Kubernetes is coming from? Uh, just it—it's it, not something we we prepared prepared or whatever, right? But uh, so just, it just jumps into jumps into my head, right? <laughs> I heard it once and I've forgotten it. Something nautical. Yeah, okay. let me, all this let me try to is... to look yeah. it up, right? Let's have a Google. Yeah. Stuff ending with ES, it might be a Greek hero or something. Yeah, it's not too far away, right? Uh, hey. It's a Greek, Greek word, right? And it means pilot, right? There we go. So, so it's, not, Kubernet- it's not really nautical. A Kubernetes but... is basically a, a pilot or you know, steering person or whatever, right? Um, a pilot. Yeah. Okay, it's interesting. So, so should the notes then be called if it's a pilot of an airplane should they be called engines the the individual things 
the in individual engine like on a plane you know you might have four uh, never mind uh, I, I think, think these, they, these, they, the nodes were, were called minions in the they past, They were called right? minions. And which, I found, which I found very cool, right? And, really then they, and then they replaced it by just compute nodes, right? Which I, is, I wonder uh, if sort of DreamWorks got in touch and said, you know, we own the name minions, go away. Nah, it's yeah. it's one it's one of those. Or uh, I mean, I don't want to to stress this point too much, but I, I believe I'm pretty sure it's a it's a matter of political correctness, right? The same ah, reason why okay. the same reason why the word uh, "slave" is no longer are used in in distributed systems okay. so regarding master slave replication right so, so there's the tendency to language. to get yeah. rid uh, get rid of it uh, because uh, it could be offensive to others which i yeah, completely understand right even yeah, if the context I, I in this sense actually. in this context is a bit yeah, different things right? like blacklist and whitelist as well yeah no i, yeah. I totally understand that yeah well you can still name the, the notes dave or kevin if you like to <laughs> Yeah, white Dave, Dave is fine, man. but Kevin goes too far. <laughs> <laughs> it was just, they were just the names oh, of yeah. the minions that came to my mind. There's what Dave and one Kevin. Minions have names. They have names. I At least three of them. Know, but I just, I just know two of them because I watched the the, the movies with my kids. <laughs> okay. Oh my God, Dave has crashed. <laughs> we Dave has Dave. crashed. <laughs> I think, the, hmm. I think in one trailer I saw this is Dave. Dave is an idiot. So, <laughs> Sounds yeah. Right. Thank you very much. So let's uh, <laughs> let's stop here. Bye. <laughs> uh, okay. Anyway, um, good. What is the next topic we are talking about? I lost a little bit track, uh, I have to say. Oh, we see uh, Kubernetes is the next uh, quasi-standard. Is that how you say it? Quasi? De facto, I think. Yeah, de facto, Kubernetes I think. Kubernetes is the de facto standard. Quasi would be more the, the German way to phrase it, right? Yeah. So it seems that Kubernetes is more the, the de facto standard or the new de facto standard or... or but there are multiple distributions of it, right? And um, yeah, with which distributions did you have any experience, Thomas? Just uh, wondering. Myself, Thomas I used... Uh, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. I, I know. Uh, myself, I used uh, Rancho and the Rancho Kubernetes engine to deploy a cluster. But there are so, so many others. I mean, all those big cloud providers do provide their, their own Kubernetes stack in, in, in a way with their tools to, to use them um, ideally in, in a graphical way because otherwise you've got only your... I think this is common in all those, uh, those tools, the kubectl tool Cube CTL. Yeah. that uh, tends to produce lots and long of, of command lines that you have to memorize and, and type. So graphical interfaces are, are easier to, to use sometimes. But harder to script. So. Yeah, of course, yeah. I would prefer command line actually, but it's maybe just me, right? So I, yeah, that's me too. Being being old, you know. Yeah, Although command line has grumpy, seen a, a yeah. big comeback in recent years. Com command line is fine, but sometimes pushing around the mouse is, is fun as well. And and with a graphical 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 user interface, you've got the you've got a quicker overview which services are probably currently in trouble. When some something turns from yeah. green to red or yellow, 
you might recognize it more, way more faster to, that you're in trouble and you, that you have to do something rather than seeing some some error and some some log file. Yeah, totally. For monitoring, yeah, of course, you need something. Yeah, for monitoring, you need to have it graphical. Right? Totally. But there are, there are external monitoring tools then, right? Like uh, Prometheus or Grafana or other stuff, right? Which, yeah, yeah. Which can, be, which can be combined, right? And I, I would actually not see the monitoring as a, uh, let's say for Docker at least, right? Uh, for, for Kubernetes, uh, maybe it's a fundamental part of it, right? Uh, there's a new word for it, by the way, right? Uh, how is it? Uh, observability, I believe, right? Is this the new word for... Is it for being able to monitor stuff? Uh, or w w what means new? But it's a it's a hype word which I have heard in the in the last uh, two months quite often, uh, mm. which is uh, which is about uh, especially having having let's say something like Kubernetes or complex system microservices architecture whatever right where you where you basically where you sometimes have a hard time to know exactly what's going on, right? And yeah. uh, so so it takes a step further than just saying, okay, we have application monitoring or whatever. It, it gives you the, the possibility to observe everything at, a, at the highest degree, let's say, right? I mean, at the end, uh, the vendors of uh, observability solutions are the same as... Uh, as before for monitoring solutions, which tells you that it's maybe just a new hybrid, but uh, the meaning is slightly different than just monitoring, let's say, right? It's a, it's a level higher in a sense, right? Yeah, mon monitoring with, with all those uh, uh, Kubernetes and then the Kubernetes environment where you don't know where one of your pods or one where your services live on which node, it's it's way more difficult than the, the old ways where you use some some nudges or something like that, where you just have one server that's reachable through IP ABC, and on port 80, there's your HTTP server. So the, the check just pings that IP on port 80 and everything's fine. But if you don't know where your pod is running right now, on which node, this becomes way more complicated. So the, the monitoring of, of those highly automated and uh, yeah, Dockerized systems is, I think, rather complicated. It has become yeah. rather complicated now. Yeah, it's a general challenge. It's it's a challenge in in everything, in all every situation in cloud computing or wherever where you just string together multiple managed services. You know how how do you how do you observe that? How do you trace a request? through coming through api gateway going through a lambda function that lambda function calls into DynamoDB or whatever how you tr how do you trace that from end to end i think that's a big challenge these days yeah exactly and all the other things yeah. for instance if you scale something up or scale something down uh, the, the monitoring system ah. sh should know about that because if you scale something down because you don't need the those resources anymore the the monitor system starts uh, sending alerts there are some some services missing that you intentionally shut down or the other way around you scale something up and the monitoring system isn't aware of those upscale servers and if you're running in load trouble so that those new added servers are not sufficient enough so you would need to to scale up even more you don't recognize mm. it with the the old static monitoring yeah solutions yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, the scaling is the big challenge, isn't it? So this, I, I suppose there are two levels of scaling, aren't there? So 
in, in a cloud, if you imagine it, so, so there's the Kubernetes level where it says, okay, we need to scale this, uh, not the pod, but these, these, we need more instances of that particular container. But then there's also the situation where Kubernetes runs out of underlying virtual machines, right? And then yeah. you would have to have your cloud provider provision another formerly called minion, you know, to, to handle the load. So there's, there's two levels of scaling. So does Kubernetes help with that? Or is that where cloud providers have to have an integration somehow into the scaling? Or is it I completely think you, separate? I think you just have to pre-provision it, right? I mean, I'm not sure completely mm, about it, but it's not yeah. just for the cloud vendor, right? It's, you, you can it's, add... Uh, it's um, also for the data center, right? Uh, from, from what I've experienced, you can add uh, new nodes to a Kubernetes cluster, cluster without any big problems and and the services are getting scaled to those new servers uh, after a while if, if you need those resources as long as you have the as long as you have the infrastructure right and this is yes. not a problem this is not a problem sure. in the cloud but it is a it becomes a problem in in something like a like a data center right because sure. at the end uh, what i have seen in in in, uh, in the pr in practice let's say is that uh, kubernetes was often driven by developers right i am so i'm not sure if this is a fair statement but uh, this is my experience at least right so kubernetes was often driven by by developers they wanted to have it right because it's easy for them to to deploy applications it's easy to test something whatever right so fine but uh, the the original the the original more traditional systems engineers ops people actually didn't like it initially right they didn't pick up the story uh -huh. because the because the 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 problem is a bit that uh, it, it gives you some promises which are kind of hard to hold in a sense right because uh, if you have a data center with a specific amount of resources right then capacity planning counts so it's not like this vision of a developer who basically just pushes a button or clicks a button or enters a command and gets his instance uh, and everything happens magically in the cloud maybe yes because there the cloud vendors give you the impression that they have infinite resources right which is by the way also not totally true right i've also Nothing seen infinite yeah, yeah. i've already seen a situation where i couldn't get <laughs> some new instance of mm -hmm. a specific type because the cloud vendor didn't have the infrastructure available right <laughs> and, I, and then i had to wait until they had this had it available again right but uh but but anyway in a, in a in an actual real data center right this this can become a problem because uh people tended to say hey uh kubernetes all fine right uh everything happens magically but uh this level of abstraction uh, and there we come maybe again to observability right this level of abstraction actually takes a bit of control from you away right so meaning you you don't really know which infrastructure is used to which degree uh, for which purpose anymore because everything is basically scheduled by kubernetes right and you assume that everything is going perfectly but maybe it's it's not right and in the good old days people did actually very accurate capacity planning right in order to find out uh, <clears throat> what they need for their applications how many machines how much network bandwidth and so on right and and this is now kind of abstracted in a in a sense which sometimes causes issues uh, maybe yes and no let's say yeah. uh, because you you have some some features in kubernetes where you can actually control where where a pod or where your containers are deployed to 
Yeah. So, yeah. so you can you can assign labels or labels is one thing. The other thing just doesn't come to my mind. But you can can configure that certain database parts, for instance, only run on server A, B, and C, for instance. That's because true. Those That's true. Are you can the, also the have beefy machines. You can yeah. also have policies uh, for Correct. for basically or defining defining some conditions around resource usage and so on, right? But mm -hmm. uh, this is all fine as long uh, as long as or uh, uh, you have enough spare capacity, right? So if you uh, have yeah. enough buffer and enough headroom, then then everything works fine, right? But uh, at the end, at some point, uh, a real person might need to order a new physical machine, right? In order well, to get uh, a new mini. What is this, the 90s? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, 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 exactly. Yeah. Whatever technology you're using, if you're running out of hardware, you're in deep trouble. Yes. Yeah, 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 indeed. But the the question is, how transparent is this? And then the my, at least my feeling, right? It's it's not a it's not a, a solid opinion, let's say. But my feeling is that uh, in the past, or uh, it it was kind of by by having more stricter processes, right? Uh, for your infrastructure, a little bit, uh, a little bit more transparent, let's say. Whereby nowadays it's more the idea: okay, hey, we we basically have a specific amount of minions or whatever buffer, and we assume that whoever wants to use it uses uses it uh, however he wants, right? Because this is the the promise that Kubernetes gives you, right? This this kind of flexibility, flexibility. So, meaning you don't want to to fill out something like a like a resource request for infrastructure anymore and then wait a week until someone basically provides you the server right what you want to do is no exactly you don't want to do this but by not doing it uh, by not do, doing it uh, you, you you lose a bit of visibility let's say that, right that, that's exactly the, the stuff that freaks out every administrator when they, they talk to some guy in development well usually if you define a cluster or anything else you should define quotas as well so that you limit the CPU resources a cluster can can use or an application within the cluster can use, the memory capacity an application can use, and probably disk space as well an application can use. So if that application behaves, is, is not that brave, uh, not that not that uh, not that nice, um, then it just consumes its resources but doesn't interfere with anything else if you leave the cluster wide open wow. you're you're in the same trouble as with other technologies as well if someone behaves uh, freaks out and, and consumes all the cpu load then yeah. everything else stops as well so you have to configure yeah, i think it's not just a, it's not just about technology it's not That's just true. about it's not just about technology as you said it's about governance in a, in a sense right so and uh, the the question is if a platform as a server i mean i'm not against it right by by the way i'm pro kubernetes and so Could on but uh, but uh, but let, let's say um i can easily see that uh, if you allow developers to do whatever they want or oh yeah to deploy whatever they want right by not having strict enough governance that something like kubernetes can can become a little bit a problem in a in a in a data center regarding their 
the the resource usage. This was the only statement. That's like, right? Yeah, no, I, yeah. I, I had yeah, I I can totally support that by personal experience. So the other day, I needed to convert a file, so I thought, okay, let's spin up a Hadoop cluster. Sixty nodes should do four cores each. You know, I don't want to wait that long. So let's spin that up. And okay, so while that converts, oh, I have another file to convert. Okay, let's spin up another 16-node cluster and uh, let's convert that and, until my my work account said, hmm, you're actually not allowed to spin up to use so many cores. Uh, oh, right, okay. So, you know, as a developer, you just think, uh, you know, there's no problem that another VM can't solve so you you're right you know as, as a developer you just want to want to solve your problem you don't really think about these things you you think there's infinite compute let's spin up another vm you know whatever most of the time it works but if you're short in resources or the the administration has some restrictions there because they wanted to to keep the production up and running you have to you have to do with less. Yeah, that's true. And if I spin up another cluster, probably Jeff Bezos comes down personally and murders me or something. I don't know. Wait. <laughs> he, did, he did resign last last week. Did, 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 didn't he? Yeah, didn't, he did resign. Didn't he yeah. step back? Right. So yeah. anyway, yeah, but, but for you, I don't know how back. many people know the name Andy Jassy yet. So <laughs> yeah. Okay, fine. So I have another question. Or so, or let's say Kubernetes could be seen as or as the kind of operating system for microservices. Right? I actually like totally like this term. Um, to to be honest, right? So I'm, or uh, so operating system are for microservices and. Um, are uh, one one question which could be interesting is how services actually communicate in in Kubernetes, right? So. Okay, yeah, they, Kubernetes uses multiple uh, multiple network engines that they can you can configure to to run your cluster. Just had a look today, and I think on the web page I saw thirty different uh, network providers that can be configured to to use to be used in Kubernetes. There are some, for instance, that introduce uh, the uh, network security encryption on the transport layer without your services or anything else above it um, having to bother about uh, encryption, for instance. This is all done by the network provider. And this this network provider dynamically adopts uh, on which how many nodes you've got on the system and if nodes are failing and so on. So this is all yeah, prepared for this highly dynamic environment. Kubernetes can you can you offers. can you explain can you explain or what I, I mean? Let's say network provider sounds self-explaining, right? But um, maybe give us two examples for such uh, network providers. Can uh, out of my head, um, I think uh, there are three. For instance, there are Flannel Flannel network provider. Then there's another one called Calico. That is based, I think, on on Flannel and uh, Weave is the the one I was using in one of my last projects because that one fixed an, an issue with Flannel that I that I had and I had it took me half a year to to pinpoint the the problem where the problem was lying with that Flannel driver because I had to debug into into IP tables and follow the data packages coming from one cluster node, 
going through different layers of package filter and um, being received on, on the correct server, but then somewhere vanished for an unknown reason. And if, the, if you say network if you say network provider um, then then is this the solution which is used to to basically implement the software defined network within kubernetes or yeah correct yeah uh, okay good okay so meaning uh, the the stuff which basically then i mean the services stuff right i mean kubernetes has the way of defining services if i'm not mistaken right so for for defining the endpoints of or specific pods or uh, is this is not what what is done by this uh, network provider right so this is no, one the, layer higher i would yeah, I guess correct. what the, you the mean network. is basically the i the ips and uh, and so on correct that's just the the virtual network that's being spread through through all those those nodes that are in in, in that network in that cluster and the, the network provider ensures the communication between all those nodes Okay. Okay. So basically, uh, makes sense. Makes sense. Or so something like a, a VNet or whatever, right? Um, virtual network, as you said, right? Yeah. Okay. Okay, but there's more, right? So one layer higher, then you can define services or load balancers. Uh, I believe that each node is running such a queue proxy to to basically or uh, deal with those services or or proxy it or whatever, right? Can you Correct. talk a yeah, bit about you've this? You've got uh, different services. For for instance, you've got the the ingresses. So th those are services that can be exposed to to external ports that you can actually access. And those ingresses are more or less a proxy that uh, transfer or that, that uh, divide the traffic to to the to the actual services that you've written and that will answer the the questions that come for. For, for your web server that you're running in the Kubernetes environment, for instance. And the, these ingress know where the actual part that solves the your, your problem is running on which node. So you just have one IP you're querying on port 80, whatever, and that ingress knows where to communicate with the, through the internal network with the actual service that you're trying to, to reach. Your API server or whatever. Okay, so if the ingress is a load balancer with a public endpoint, is then a service a load balancer without a public endpoint, which is a private endpoint? Yeah, so are they basically the same thing, public you, and private? You, you, your services are running all in the internal network without any yeah. public connections, and the the ingresses are defined endpoints with public connections, so that you can communicate with all those inter internal services. Okay, but both of them load balance. Uh, the ingress can be, load, uh, the ingress across can the load balance, pots yeah. maybe, right? Across the pots, right? Uh, be, right? Meaning across across the containers within the pots, let's say, right? Uh, I would say for the for the service at least, right? Yeah. Right. Following Thomas's uh, explanation. Um yeah, Just I think you can sure even you can even plug in, I believe, for for ingress, or maybe this is an extra component, right? I think you can even plug in external load balancers, right? So so meaning there there are plugins for specific uh, load balancers like F five or whatever, right? Um, yeah, I wonder if uh, cloud providers integrate their own load balancers into this. I seem to remember 
Yeah, That's yeah, how yeah. It works. I, I believe yeah. this is the case. Yeah, I believe this. Is the yeah, case. Pr pretty sure you can. You you have the the freedom to to implement many of plugins in into those Kubernetes systems as well as long as they they uh, yeah use the the standards for, for that all the other plugins are using as well. You can exchange those without bigger problems, I guess. Yeah. Makes sense. Uh, talking about cloud providers or vendors, um, I, I think we missed one thing, right? Um, oh. When we talked about the distributions, we, we didn't mention that each of the cloud vendors actually, or maybe we did and I, I just missed it because I'm getting old, <laughs> but I think we didn't mention that each of the cloud vendors has its own uh, distribution, right? I mean, we talked about Rancher, for instance, I believe, right? And uh, we didn't talk about EKS or... AKS or GKS, right? Uh, which is uh, whatever cloud you imagine, right? So, so Elastic, uh, uh, so AWS yeah. in this case, right? Azure or Google or Container Service, right? Um, yeah. It's, it's, I, I guess the the idea is that the trick is that the K is always staying for Kubernetes, right? But uh, it is meaning in this context container service i believe right something yeah. like that right it's a good thing that that amazon has this elastic thing going on otherwise theirs would also be called aks right the same as azure kubernetes service although they could call it microsoft okay i'm rambling never mind um yeah so i once heard that the google kubernetes service that this may be wrong Right, so don't quote me on this or don't record this. So the Google Kubernetes service is just one massive Kubernetes and all they use is namespaces for each customer, right? So the the nodes underneath are totally abstracted away from you. Right? You you don't mm, even see them. But I don't think so. May, I, maybe I, I, I'm I, wrong, right? I, I think in, they in have Google, multiple just, just in Google. Just in yeah, Google, but in but I, I did set up already a, a Kubernetes uh, server service in, in or a Kubernetes environment in Google, and I'm pretty oh, okay. sure that I, I'm pretty sure that I had nodes running for this, right? So there were okay. specific nodes under my infrastructure view, let's say, that were hosting my my Kubernetes server. Okay, right. maybe Service. I'm thinking of right. something different. So my yeah. Kubernetes cluster was basically hosted by a bunch of uh, virtual machines uh, in in Google Cloud at the end, right? Uh, mm. So and when I when I tiered it down, my, the virtual machines disappeared as well. So okay, I, I makes sense. Based on based on experience, I would say this is not totally true. But maybe they also have. Uh, I think they have also something like uh, Anthos, right? Uh, I'm not sure, exactly sure what it is, but it seems also to be based on Kubernetes, maybe on bare metal. Maybe this is uh, then then different, or uh, I don't know, right? It didn't work too much with it yet, right? Yeah, yeah, fair enough. And Thomas, you wanted to talk about some some uh, Kubernetes distributions, um, which in the context of your in the, in the context of your Raspberry, I believe. Right? <laughs> so it's your well, Thomas. yeah. Oh right, it must be me then. Um, yeah, that's you know not too much to say. Um, there are a few. So there is on Raspberry Pi, right? So I have a raspberry cluster which i've already mentioned which is a bit sort of higgledy piggledy so there are two raspberry fours one raspberry three and just to make things interesting an x x86 as well which is which is totally fun if you have arm containers and they can't run on the x86 node so 
I wonder if I've done something totally stupid. The answer is probably yes. So I was just assuming that containers are independent of the architecture, and of course they're not. You know, what you there are multi-targeting containers now, but this is something you have to do. You have to say, okay, for this architecture, you need to use this label for the container image, and for that architecture, you use need to use that label. And then it works, but it's it's not as easy as just having a container because okay. obviously there are binaries in there and ARM binaries don't work on x86. Anyway, so I'm using Docker Swarm, as I said, and I wanted to use Kubernetes. But um, yeah, the Raspberry 3 node is just too weak. So I tried, what did I try? There's K3S, which is meant to be a Kubernetes for, you know, embedded for small computers like this. And I had a constant 20 or 30% CPU load. So this is apparently a known problem in K3S, only on the Raspberry 3 node. The Raspberry 4s were, were okay, right? And then there are things like, I think Ubuntu has a distribution called Micro, Micro K8S, Micro Kubernetes, which you can just install on probably on Ubuntu servers and Ubuntu desktop as well and talking about cloud providers i think the eks distribution the, the amazon version you can now download that as an open source and if you want to you can run that on your on-premise i'm i'm not sure why you would want that um probably probably some tooling that integrates with the aws cloud i i imagine you know, I'm not selling my workplace very well, but that's what I imagine. Exactly. Like you, you need to you need to tell the people that this is the best ever, right? Because <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, anyway, no, 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 we are not doing this. So fine. Um, okay, I, I think uh, there's only one topic left for today, right? Um, and yeah, we are nearly we are nearly at one hour. And the topic is a bit about, uh, yeah, as usual, I, I want to talk a bit about databases in Kubernetes, right? <laughs> and uh, I, I mean, traditionally, it's not actually, so my original opinion a few years back was that it's not a good idea to run a database in Kubernetes, right? So my original opinion was basically, okay, fine, I would see a database more as an infrastructure component, so let it live uh, on the infrastructure as a service layer, let's say, which is below the platform as a service layer, and uh, do whatever you want with your applications in Kubernetes, and they can then access uh, to the to the databases that are running on the infrastructure tier, right? But I have to admit that uh, time went by, right? And this was maybe, I don't know, six years ago, uh, right? Time went by a bit and, uh, and uh, or maybe five years ago. I, I don't know exactly. But uh, now, nowadays it's a bit better, right? Because in the meantime, uh, Kubernetes added or uh, had added something like our stateful sets, right? Which made it uh, much easier to deal with uh, with stateful services, let's say, right? Before, um, I have to explain, before, for instance, if you deployed services, they were scheduled more or less randomly. There was not an explicit order of the services when you when you were basically deploying them, right? So the idea was that the service is completely stateless and this was how Kubernetes was dealing originally with all the stuff. Um, when a service went down, it was just replaced by a new one and then that's it, right? Or when a container came down, there came another container up and that's it, right? So meaning, meaning there... 
the the idea of using databases where you actually have an interest in the state, right? You you would like to to make sure that uh, you use exactly the same volume as before, right? Uh, in order to still have your data and so on, right? What was initially not very well solved in Kubernetes, right? And uh, even let's say local storage, uh, right, was not super super solved in the in the past right and uh, uh, indeed i mean let's say databases sometimes want to have local storage there are databases that don't need it too much like for instance the memory databases like redis right um, they're something like our uh, yeah remote storage or zen or volumes are, are totally fine because redis mainly reads or and writes sequentially or are from or to disk, right? Whereby other database systems like relational database systems, they are having random access and so on, right? And uh, they, they actually prefer disks that are locally attached um, because of the, the very low write Speed, latency, yeah. right? So the, the latency may be more than the IOPS. Uh, IOPS might also ta right. uh, play, play a role there, right? Um, mm -hmm. Okay, but... Anyway, stateful sets. Um, it was a while ago when I when I worked with this in the in the past. Uh, but uh, let's say stateful set is uh, is just in Kubernetes or a controller that deploys pods. Uh, uh, yeah, in a in a specific uh, order, so or on pods in a specific order instead of uh, doing it doing it totally random. Let's say right. So, so how does it help with state? Yeah, for instance, uh, if you do something like a rolling upgrade, right? State is uh, is relevant if you do something like rolling upgrades of database uh, servers, right. right? Then yeah. you would need to 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 basically bring up uh, nodes in the. Actually, it starts even with building a cluster. If you have a distributed database system, you would have node number one, which initializes your cluster, and then node number two would join, then node number three, and so on, right? And in a distributed database system where you basically have a state, it is completely useful that each node has uh, has a specific id right or or kind of number because if it fails you would like to replace exactly this node right because this yes. node is responsible for a specific portion of uh, of, the of the state it doesn't it yeah. doesn't work to bring up any other node and and just uh, start serving some traffic again right because this node is responsible for partition usually of your data which is representing your state um you you would need to to bring up exactly this node again right uh, mm -hmm. let's say so they they need to have a kind of identifier which is also mapped in this case or within the stateful set uh, right because the the stateful set also allows you to to basically uh, define persistent uh, persistent claims i volume claims i believe are in a, in the sense that the volumes are kind of uh, associated to this specific pot and if the pot goes down then uh, you basically are yeah are make sure that the, the new one which uh, replaces this one right is is using the same volume right which is uh, wasn't guaranteed uh, without stateful sets let's say right interesting and this is just a strategy for for a rolling upgrade it doesn't actually no, it's solve a, the, the it's, storage of the state you still need no, it, it, some it's, tool for that a, right it's everything right so meaning there are multiple oh, really? there are multiple, multiple aspects as mentioned before so um let me see are they the pods are deployed in order that they have a persistent storage volume or they have a unique stable network identifier yeah. right um and uh, yeah 
are okay. meaning meaning given the fact that they have this unique identifier they are they are basically they are basically able to replace one other with the same kind of ident identity network identity uh, in a oh. sense and the same the same time they are basically able to to get the same data associated again right the okay, same volume so, associated again so right so if if a node in okay. a data in your distributed data system dies and uh, it is replaced by another one right which is then happening automatically in kubernetes yeah, yeah. right so you bring mm -hmm. up just another machine let's say right then uh, this machine would uh, would use the same volume by having the same state uh, right gotcha. and it had would have the same network identity which is uh, indeed also right. also important so, right okay so the, the magic happens in the volume i was i was thinking and i was misunderstanding this at the minute that the state is somehow held in memory right and then if node 3 goes node. down then the replicas of node 3 need to restore the state to the node once i mean it comes this, back. this is also but this if you is have also... an external volume then right that's i, I mean this is both is happening actually so in modern distributed systems so meaning the what you just said is happening within the distributed database system itself usually right so if one yeah. node goes down then the distributed database system would have one high availability features which are making the data available on another node again right so there yeah, are yeah. multiple replicas of the data uh, across multiple nodes let's say right but anyway if uh, if a node comes back right then you would like to have first of all the uh, the the same identity for this node if it replaces exactly this node right yeah, you, would, yeah. you don't want to have an extra node because then you would need to reconfigure your 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 distributed system yeah, to to know sense. this extra node right yeah. and then this extra node would be responsible for another portion of the data maybe you would need to rebalance the data or whatever right yeah. and in addition to have the same data on the volume is uh, maybe for a single node not not useless let's say right uh, but also for distributed systems it is not uh, not completely useless because uh, um, instead of synchronizing maybe the data from from the other side you could then load it initially from disk and then identify the delta and then or uh, replicate the delta right uh, there they are but this is something the, the distributed database system would need to sort out by itself right but stateful sets are actually actually helping uh, let's say okay right? Yeah, and this depends on the system you're using at the end, right? So, for instance, yeah. in uh, in in Redis uh, uh, or in Redis Enterprise, you would typically uh, synchronize again from the from the replica shard, right? Your master, if it if it comes back, right? So the master dies, another one gets promoted from replica to master, and then as soon as the the replica comes back, you would typically are uh, would typically. Uh, do a full sync from the from the replica again right yeah so let's say yeah so, that makes sense yeah. makes sense I, I see that you you even included a little a little graph a little shard yeah it's, this, uh, which, it's hard which, to read which and, is uh, which is always great for radio always great for radio it was more for myself <laughs> to be <laughs> to be honest again yeah but uh yeah the order is also something which is which is kind of relevant right um in a, in a sense and the order because yeah, you asked about it is, it, is yeah. uh, this is something which is important for something like upgrades for instance uh, right yeah, yeah uh, of course rolling upgrades yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. or or creation of the cluster right so meaning mm. or the, the fact that you step-by-step step add nodes to the cluster and you know that each cluster node has a specific identity with a specific, uh, let's say, IP and so on, right? Uh, which sense. is uh, which is uh, is not going to change or, let's say, and the, the, let's say, state can also be 
kept associated with this id right are, are those ips relevant in the kubernetes cluster because they i think <clears throat> no it is those are they get assigned models. randomly so it's just that the the same uh, this the same pod gets restarted again or the, the same container gets restarted again to yeah, join the, the cluster in this case i mean it doesn't need to be an ip it can also be a name let's say right so okay, it's kind of... or the, the, okay. the th but uh, but in a in a sense you need let's say in distributed systems or database systems actually they react not very well to ip changes from my experience right so if i if you change the ip behind the scenes right then then uh, an oracle would not like this right also well, when i set up oracle and we had to change some ips this was not working very well let's say right Ooh, typically okay. From from my point of view, uh, and uh, I I believe this is the the case with most stateful systems, right? In in a sense, but indeed you can also have systems that are that are that are mainly working on names and so instead of uh, yeah uh, identifying something via the uh, via the IP, right? Within this distributed system, but again, right? Distributed system is about talking to each other, right? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah uh, but, but I think you define your cluster. You define your cluster by by saying, "Hey, I yeah, yeah. I have a node one which has this IP and this ID, right? And uh, if you want to change the IP, you need to tell the distributed system that you change the IP and not just change it. Let's say, right? So, and if Kubernetes would just change it behind the scenes by itself, then or uh, you you would you couldn't assume that uh, that the system doesn't like it. Let's say, right? There there are indeed solutions uh, for instance uh, what i have seen quite often with uh, with database uh, deployments in in kubernetes now is that they are using something like the operator pattern right so meaning there there's an there's an additional operator which is sitting between kubernetes and the database system and okay. is able to mm. to basically operate the database i mean the idea mm. is a little bit like really a it's not like a human operator, but the idea is the same, right? So you would have a human operator who has some knowledge around uh, Kubernetes, right? And yeah. some knowledge around uh, around the, the database system itself, right? Uh, so, uh, and, uh, and this person could indeed operate the uh, the, the database system, the distributed database system within Kubernetes better than, than just, uh, let's say, the the automation within the database system, mm -hmm. which just just knows knows about the cluster itself from the inside, right? Um, or someone who is orchestrating or managing our Kubernetes, who does just know the the distributed system, uh, which is given by the database yeah. system, from the outside, right? So meaning mm -hmm. uh, an operator should know both a bit in order to make uh, meaningful decisions, right? <laughs> uh, let's say, and uh, and uh, in because Kubernetes is all about automation and stuff like this, there there is this idea of having an operator who who sits in between and takes care of some operational tasks, then right. Um, by by incorporating uh, let's say knowledge about the Kubernetes stuff and uh, knowledge about the the distributed database system, right? Yeah, so. interesting. Yeah, similar to you know what Zookeeper does in in various things, you know, for various distributed yeah, systems. Zookeeper, like, Zookeeper is yeah, Zookeeper that, is more cluster management. Intro, not, yeah, but it's it, more for it is the sort inside, of yeah. like you know, yeah. like a Hadoop cluster has to have a master node. Right. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. But if that goes down, you need a dedicated sort of failover master node. So yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a it question of sense. point of view, right? I would see Zookeeper more as the the inside cluster manager who which is basically yeah. taking care in this case of our 
of the cluster, right? Uh, it, it knows, but this cluster is deployed somewhere on infrastructure and containers and so okay. on, right? And then there, there, there's a view from from this point of view, right? Mm -hmm. For instance, okay. a, a good example is if a database node dies, right? You you the other nodes in the database in this distributed database system, right? They don't know about why this node died, right? They just know that this node died. But uh, from the outside, for instance, if this node is running on a on a virtual machine, right? Um, an operator could know ah okay. this node died right. because the virtual machine died, right? So okay. so there are, there are multiple levels, uh, let's say, and levels uh, of knowledge, yeah, exactly. And, and I, as far as I understood, such a Kubernetes operator gives you the chance to to programmatically have access to some information from the Kubernetes universe, right? And mm. indeed also is able to interact with the distributed database system by bridging this gap and uh, then playing the yeah. role of someone which is sitting in between like a human operator, right? The human operator in yeah. front of the PC would, uh, uh, or in my case, Mac, <laughs> would, also, would also basically have, have an overview of both worlds, right? Uh, yeah, I heard many stories about companies trying to write their own operator for their own needs and and how difficult it is because that's a that's a difficult task right so incorporating all this knowledge and making these automated decisions yeah yeah it's and it's, a, it's in code right i think they are written in golang usually right uh, i suppose you can write them in whatever yeah but golang yeah, seems to be the most popular yeah. one I think Golang is the is the language Kubernetes is written in, and there it's, are well-defined yeah. APIs and so on, right? So it's what the cool kids use that rules yeah. us out. Um, yeah. So speaking a any, of communication, anyway. hey. <laughs> <for> <laughs> yeah, anyway, okay, go um, ahead. Sorry. Yeah, uh, Thomas, is is there is there anything we haven't touched on yet? Is there anything we should talk about from your preparation or from your experience in Kubernetes? No, no, nothing that comes to my mind at, at this time and at the moment. <laughs> so, no, no, I'm fine. Yeah, for, for the benefit of our listeners, it's 3 a.m. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. It's, it's almost 11 o'clock in the evening. Yeah, That's true. So we, we are actually on time, right? Uh, actually, slightly. Well, it's just the first time. Yeah, but actually we are a bit over time, so we planned ah, for one hour yeah, and yeah. we are now at uh, one hour 15-ish, right, let's say. I guess you're cutting 50% so, of it anyways. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> o I, only you, Thomas, right? You I'm just in this so, so, you know, because I don't get out of the house much. So in reality, you cut out all my bits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, uh, it would improve the podcast. Uh, <laughs> oh, man, man. <laughs> nah, okay, joking. fine. Um, yeah, I, I mean, maybe one last comment, right? Uh, not about Kubernetes, but in general, before we say goodbye. I think we are guests uh, guests at the Linux Linux, Linux in laws. In -laws it's hard to right? say. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a hard name. Linux to say. in laws. Yeah, at least for Germans. Linux uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, are, we are guests there next week, I believe, right? Is or were they week? guests at ours next week? I don't remember. No, 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 no. We did. We were guests there, and then after the once they are guests with us, I believe, right? Yeah. So yeah. Uh, so just watch out or, or for this podcast as well. Linux in-laws, right? So, yeah. It's going to be interesting. 
Yeah, let's see. I'm looking forward to it. Right. Yes, me too. Really cool. Okay. So yeah, um, if there is nothing else, then I would say we we say goodbye. Um, thank you for listening as usual, right? And um, yeah. see you, right? Yeah, or, thanks very much. And thanks, Thomas, for joining us. Thanks right. for having not, me. Not, not right. exactly seeing you, right? Uh, you know what I mean, right? Dear listeners. <laughs> <laughs> You'll look at our graph. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you can find pictures of us at uh, at grumpyoldcoders.org. So grumpy hyphen old hyphen. Yes. Unfortunately, you can, yes. Right. So well, yeah, there's a very nice <laughs> picture of, of Thomas. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, well, well, it's maybe, a picture of me. <laughs> a picture, yeah, a picture. It's, it's, but it's um, a picture. Maybe, maybe one last thing, right? One so so one last thing, right? Um, so if if you listen to this frequently, right? So uh, uh, Michael, no, Michael, Michael is already there, right? So if you, <laughs> it's, it's our only listener. <laughs> Hi, Michael. <laughs> if you listen to this, then. Uh, and you're not yet on the uh, Discord channel, right? Then I would propose to you that you just join the Discord channel because we can then ch have direct chats. You can provide feedback, whatever, right? So we we kind of uh, decide to open it up a bit. Uh, and yeah, there is a Discord channel. You, you can see the invite on our website, right? So if you scroll all the way down, there is there should be a link to our Discord server, right? And uh, yeah, clicking on it, uh, you will be able to provide feedback uh, via Discord channel and stuff like this, right? Okay. Enjoy this in Discord. Yay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Then, yeah. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye. Bye.